Hello, I'm Lucy. And I'm Chris, Lucy's dad. And we, well, I, got the idea to make a podcast after listening to Alistair Campbell and his daughter Grace's podcast called Football, Feminism and Everything in Between. Me and my dad argue about politics and political things all the time, and I thought it might be mildly interesting for other people to listen to. Then Lucy remembered other interesting things about me, like the fact that I'm an airline pilot. So I came up with a way of combining politics and piloting in a podcast. We've called it Conversations from the Cockpit, and this is it. We hope you like it. So, I'm in... It's funny, Dad, isn't it? Because Brexit is actually, I would say, the thing that we most argue about, which is weird because we are both Remainers, and, yeah, we both voted Remain. Mm -hmm. So why don't you start by telling our listeners what it is that we argue about when it comes to Brexit? Well, part of me wants to challenge um, challenge your position uh, uh, and throw the question back at you because you voted Remain and you are so quick to give up right. a pro-European position. Uh, uh, but I don't think that's... In, okay. in, but I'm going to answer it. I don't think that's fair, but you say your bit and then I'll say my bit. Okay, right. Um, so, um, <laughs> is that uh, there was a deafening silence. There could have been an intermediate position where one respected the vote. Mm-hmm. Certainly life goes on, even if we are outside Europe. But to, to have a totally absent voice uh, and no expression of the philosophical position of uh, what Europe stands for from a Labour Party, which has long been aligned. I mean, 98% of uh, Labour MPs are Remainers, and for a very good reason. 40% of Labour voters are Leavers, though. I know, Labour, it's a definition that I can challenge. Yeah, no, look, I I think then it's your turn. Now it's your turn. Okay. That's very diplomatic. Recording. <laughs> yes, because people are listening to us, and um, and probably your view is. Um, no, I mean, I don't think anyone—not anyone. I mean, I don't think anyone on the left would argue with that description of Europe. Um, and I, I'm not. I'm certainly not arguing with you about it. I think. It's often you said... people like. Hang on, it's my turn. People like you. <laughs> And, like, like Labour voters like you, basically middle-class, educated, metropolitan, which, which I am as well, are, have been so quick to be so damning of Cor- Corbyn's um, position on Brexit, which I get has been... Uh, I'm not saying he's been perfect on Brexit at all, but I think when people... I think maybe you're a bit more diplomatic, you understand that it's not as easy for him to go... Yeah, we support Remain. We support Remain. No, I didn't expect that from him. I just so, needed... so what did you expect? What did you want from him? I wanted a, a, a passionate speech. So what we got from him no, what was the you... opposite of what I wanted. Which we got, what? we got, we got silence and confused <laughs> messages. Yeah, you have to listen. But, okay. You got silence and confused messages. Believe you me, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for. A, I'm waiting. To hear what Corbyn says, and uh, we got a muddled message delivered, delivered weekly, um, which created 
further confusion around the Labour's position. It could have been a passionate, a passionate defence of values, uh, philosophical uh, sentiment around joining together, uh, and included in that, uh, marking a moment where the Labour Party recognised the legitimacy of the vote and uh, a protection of certain European values which can still take place. So basically a soft kind of Brexit. Yes, they should so have, there you go. Uh, yeah, so basically they should have backed a... And I agree, I, I do think... And I didn't hear anything. Screen. I didn't, but, just didn't hear but, anything. Uh, yeah. OK, to make this clear, what my problem with this narrative is how quick people... If it's like people are, have been waiting to pounce on Corbyn the whole time, and I'm not saying you, yeah. but I'm saying, but and there's some finally something that they can just go, oh yeah, yeah. okay, well that's it. And and to be honest, like the, the thing around Corbyn has changed. At the beginning, it was like he's really he's a man of integrity, he's really great, but he's not a good leader. Yeah. You know, he's been yeah. on the right side of history. Sure. Yeah. Suddenly, he he was racist when he suddenly it became clear he was actually doing effective things with his leadership after the 2017 election. Then he was racist. I'm not saying I don't like. I'm not saying anti-Semitism isn't a problem in the Labour Party, but to call Corbyn anything other than like an anti-racist campaigner is just ludicrous. Great. Well, none of us are joining in on that. Yeah, debate, yeah. Course, no, I'm just saying. And then, yeah. and then now it's kind of like back to the kind of you're a terrible leader. And I think I get like his. What I'm saying is, I guess I'm just being more understanding. I'm not giving up on him mm. because I'm being understanding of the fact that. You have this conflict where you have, yeah, 98% of his MPs are remain, but then 40% of voters are leave. But voters and, come and then and there's go. so there's much integrity. pressure. You've got Tom Watson, who are like, yeah. who's, you know, been, you know, let's be honest, we've all known he's not really a Corvinite, like, had never has been. And he's, and he's kind of, like, just think, splitting I, the party massively. Like, Corbyn's got pressure from a lot of places. and But you still have to cope I know, with that pressure. I know, you still have to provide a vision for where the... Waiting, Corbyn been... is responsible for a vision of the Labour Party. And that vision... Uh, you see, the, the, the narrative you're giving yeah. doesn't excuse the position that the Labour Party has adopted, which is not to defend Europe or its philosophical values, at least in a speech which still gave room to wriggle on uh, uh, on uh, fulfilling Brexit. The Liberal Party have managed, you know, in front of you, you have to deal with the issue of, of the day. It's not an issue that will go away. It should have been dealt with. Mm. Uh, some issues you can ignore because they, they'll go away. Like this what? issue, Well, just issues that travel into the public arena. You know, on funding of this or that. Oh, you or, mean as? Uh, what do you mean? What I mean to say is that the Labour Party seemed, under Corbyn, seemed to be happy to ride two horses into town, which is an expression that I enjoyed and I read in the Guardian uh, not long ago. It rode two horses into town, and mm, it never, it never, and I think that lacks. That's not the Labour Party. I know the Labour Party. I know stands for conviction on certain yeah, issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't run with. Uh, the horse that's got the most votes and um, old codgers like me uh, have seen have seen so-called the real deal leaders a few times before Who where we've gone well you know 
I can I can remember being excited by Blair because he. <gasps> yes, I know it's a horrible thought, <gasps> isn't it? But you know, uh, it was getting rid of the Tories. That was part of the euphoria, and anyway, you. But Blair you, wasn't the real deal. We all know that now. In some ways, uh, in some ways, uh, in a in a well, very small I mean, way, as a leader. Yeah, he was charismatic, as charismatic and like he got shit But in done, other ways, he like, he liked the sound of his own voice. Yeah, yeah, and, and you and I are roughly aligned yeah. on that. You know, absolutely. Um, and uh, anyway, it's 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 a mess for us. Dad, who did you vote for in the European elections? Be honest. Because because of you and your and for a few other reasons, I went all mushy. I voted Labour. I voted Labour. <gasps> and to some... To, obviously, it's a, it's a vote that doesn't change much. But insofar as one should always agonise like about poll, how you... It was basically a poll, wasn't it? It was a, po- I, it was a I, poll on Brexit. I think I should have been an Alistair Campbell and voted uh, Green. No, Alistair Campbell voted Lib yeah, Dem. Yeah, I wouldn't have voted Lib Dem. I, I, yeah, I Alistair Campbell so, should have voted Green. Why did I would have voted Green. My, yeah. my, you know, the Green agenda is rapidly overtaking the political agenda. The political agenda seems to be rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. Um, did you come up with that? I did, yes. That's amazing, just now. I did. Because <laughs> the, the climate change boat is sinking. You know, the world is sinking on, yeah, uh, that's on rising water, level, water levels. And the political agenda is about little, a little mm. bit more money, a little bit less money. Mm. You know, very real and very valid. But in the meantime, in the, end, the whole world is nihilist. in trouble. Yeah. I just wish that the green agenda could occupy the centre ground and we could have a kind of quality of politician uh, my big problem with the green, Greens is a bit is a, maybe unfair but it describes people who are not overly qualified or adept yeah. Uh, yeah. and that's unfair because many are and so um, that, that's why I would have voted Green and I but this is what we argue about we argue about Corbyn and his position on Brexit and the Labour Party. That's yeah, what we argue about. Absolutely, and that's what all Labour Party members argue about. Yeah. There's, there was an argument that preceded Brexit about Corbyn himself, but we're both roughly aligned to... Yeah, I definitely was ...an more... idea of Corbyn which reaches into nationalising certain things, uh, and... Being a man of integrity. And being a man of integrity, stopping austerity... Yeah. ...caring about community and behaving in a certain way which marks him out as a different politician to all yeah, the others. Yeah, yeah. So we're all aligned on that. But we've had a fork Although in the road. Although I would quickly say that I was much more passionate about him than you and I've, I've never got the sense that you really yeah. got behind him. I think you get behind his values, but I, do, I, can't, I think you don't quite click with his persona. Remember, I, I did go with you to a, a Corbyn what? rally. You did. That's that's true. And uh, well done. I was <laughs> I was swept up in 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 the idea of integrity, uh, shall we say, over leadership. Yeah. Uh, a certain style of and leadership. And like a different which, style of leadership, yeah, leadership that's like bottom up and like and giving the, power to the grass, like grassroots I, stuff. Yeah, and I and I, you know, and there's a lot of that stuff that I still yeah. still like about him. Um, but but back to back, back to, to what. Back to the, back to your own sentimental, philosophical definition of progress, and the the progress of humanity towards uh, a certain trajectory. So the trajectory that I've got in my head is that 
all societies need to get together and solve the world's problems and that they're that's just the accepted progressive norm that it's no longer about making Britain great again or making yeah it's but about that, joining in yeah. it's about joining in and Europe the European project is so important uh, philosophically okay. in an idea of progress uh, so, and the under definition of nationalism under defining nationalism over a humanitarian position yeah, uh, I, I agree with and that and the rate the, the speed at which uh, an illegitimate positioning of a Brexit vote illegitimate in my head of course uh, because it was designed to save the Tory party so dad why don't you start by telling our listeners where you were when it was announced that the UK was leaving the EU back in 2016 I was in, uh, where else, but the cockpit uh, of a Boeing 787 Dreamliner um, in the sky, um, watching the horror unfold. But you weren't watching it because you were in the sky. That's true. So how were you finding out about the results? um, We departed for Delhi, London Heathrow to Delhi at 10pm, and it was round about when the polls closed. Right. So much of... What's going to happen seems to be about exit polls. And so the first hint of um, Brexit becoming Brexit was a telex from our engineers who seem to be the ones... What's a telex? So a telex. So in the sky, you can communicate in a variety of ways, including straight on a satellite phone. Um, you obviously... can communicate with air traffic control yeah. and to some extent on these modern aeroplanes and you know including the one I fly you've got Wi-Fi although right. giving pilots Wi-Fi is somewhat controversial so we don't really have it yet okay. um, so perhaps the least intrusive and expensive way of communicating and I do this for my football <laughs> um, I can think of countless important football games in my um, arsenal life uh, which so have by involved... the way, this podcast is not going to be about football, but, you know. <laughs> um, well, it can't be about us and not football, um, because there's plenty of conversation around football. But right, so you're in the sky. So I was, yeah, I was in the sky, and I often, I often have a request from a passenger, which is relayed to me by a cabin crew, right. uh, which says, so-and-so would like to know the football score, because you're in the sky during yeah. the game. And Wi-Fi seems to lag a little bit behind the, the real world. And I've tried a variety of ways of prodding our organisation into giving me a result. And I always get pretty prompt results at God knows what time, uh, English time, um, from the engineers. So I send a, right. a telex to the engineers and I go, could you tell me this result, please? My passengers want to know. Okay. And of course, that's half true and half untrue. Half it's you often, want to know. <laughs> it's often me where I want to know. So, in this case, uh, one got a sense that it was a big occasion, so I didn't want to miss out on the result. You're talking about Brexit, right? We're now. talking about Brexit. Yeah. So, back to Brexit. We're yeah. back to me probably three hours, two hours into the flight. Um, so, this is like one in the morning. When it's just Possibly to as late as that. Yeah. So three hours. I know the, the London Heathrow Delhi route very well. It's one of my favourites. It's the middle of the night, and we're probably over Romania, okay. over the Caucasus Mountains, it's dark, so you don't see much. Uh, and there's 
not much um, not much to do except look after the aeroplane and its trajectory and uh, anyway so I I made it so my, autopilot's on so yeah autopilot's on um, it's on for a long long time the autopilot yeah um, and uh, we're in the cruise probably at 35,000 feet it's a night sky yeah the lights are bright in the cockpit and it's funny that you're over Romania when yeah given that oh, Romania is <laughs> <laughs> good even if I wasn't that was an omen you know yeah oh <laughs> Oh no! It was the opposite of the omen. We'd like. Well, it was an op, it was a, 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 an omen for Romania, yeah, but not for Romania. Yeah. Okay, like that, Lucy. Um, and I sent a telex to Maintroll, maintenance engineer, saying, "Chaps, any chance you could give us the Brexit uh, result when it comes out?" And um, in, in, on this occasion, I got a telex back, and it said, "Exit polls giving Brexit." A margin of victory of something along the lines of whatever it was, maybe sixty forty yeah. in favour of Brexit. And I turned round to my colleague in the right-hand seat, and, I, and we both looked at the the telex. Yeah. And you know, when you when you have disbelief, you have to reread it, uh, and you've got nowhere to go because you're in your little bubble. Well, that's what I was going to ask. So, was it? Do you think your feelings kind of intensified by the fact that you were in this tiny room? essentially at in the air and you can't actually have any communication with anyone you can't text you know your friends or your family and say oh my god i can't believe yeah. it you're kind of just with these other two people were that were they were they like what did they think did you chat about it as usual i tend to be the most passionate um when it comes to <laughs> comes to those sorts of issues um and when you read it in black and white first of all it wasn't the result and so I, yeah, I could true. suspend, could suspend total, total despair. Despair. That's the word because you know later on I was in despair. I, yeah. I admit that that the reason why people don't want you to do things that you're professionally um, uh, supposed to be doing at the highest level uh, with bad news, yeah, uh, is that you probably distracted. Yeah. And 90% of the time, of course, that's fine. Um, yeah. And so, uh, to answer your question, it was a, purely a question of suspending belief in what was going on. So you didn't get the result. Did you get the... I got the result later on. So you got the result still in the air. I got the result still in the air, firmly in the air. So, and by the way, I think I remember you saying you were flying to India... Yeah. Is that where you were going? Yeah. I was going to, to Delhi, Delhi, which I mentioned earlier. And that means the sun rises over Iran. Uh, some so some gorgeous views over over the Black Sea as you leave Turkey behind you and you come over Iran. Um, and maybe the Caucasus Mountains on your left. Yeah. Uh, and you wave goodbye to Europe. So maybe that was a, it's another a metaphor. Another, another metaphor sign. apart yeah. from being yeah. over <laughs> Ramonia. Um, and... Uh, you know, for sure, at a certain point, probably between Iran and Afghanistan, I knew the game was up, and I needed, I needed to get my head. You know, you want to run when you see big stuff. You want to run to a TV screen to watch it these days, or yeah, you uh, want to like yeah. engage with the. And news. so the substitute for that is just telling but, all the cabin crew and passengers. So what, Dad? What was, were you? So was everyone kind of on the disbelief bandwagon or were some people support cheering on Brexit did you have any of that or not or not really 
I I don't remember? remember that we had any, probably because they got wind of the fact that I was intensely upset by, by the result. <laughs> they don't want to upset they, the captain. No, not to upset the captain. Um, <laughs> you know, that conversation, I was probably deaf to conversations around that because I was so in my own, so in mourning. Um, I didn't know how pro-Europe I was. Until, until we left. Until we left. Um, and in the end, uh, I was very subdued, I'd say. Uh, at the result and um, it was a quietish approach did you have to land the plane dad were do you, you know I you don't remember the plane? do you know I don't remember I don't remember um, that's let's hope you didn't then <laughs> <laughs> it would have been a quiet landing <laughs> uh, smooth and quiet and maybe it would have been a little sorry for itself um, <laughs> but a subdued landing a subdued landing <laughs> yeah not much reverse thrust a modest float do you remember what you did when you got to Delhi? What was the first thing? I mean, I guess you got your phone out straight away. Yeah. So I what mean, time is it in Delhi? You land... So English time, we landed about 6am. Right. Having set off at 10pm. And that's Delhi time, around about midday. Okay. And uh, so, so India is in, India's in full flow. Mm-hmm. Social media, news. England's waking up. Yeah. So it wasn't a bad time to connect with news, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I remember I was doing my first night shift on in a newsroom when Brexit happened, and I was right. working in Germany, yeah. as you know, and I was so the only English person in the office. And it was the middle of the night? It was the what, same, it was basically the same, it was English time, an hour ahead maybe. Did you not have more people in, in, in situ because of this vote, or also in your uh, newsroom they didn't sense what had... was coming? I d- yeah, I don't think anyone... It's funny, because I remember, I was, yeah, there was only four... There's only ever four of us on night shifts. Mm-hmm. And it was still four, even though it was a really big night. Mm. But I was the only English person. I think there was a Russian guy. Then there was uh, maybe an Italian and a Spanish or something. Yeah. And they were all... I was getting really nervous. Mm. And they were all kind of laughing at me and saying, no, you don't worry, you're not going to leave. You're not going to leave, you're not going to leave. And then as it kind of unfolded, it was just, it was, I had a similar thing of weirdly, even though I was working in the newsroom, of feeling quite isolated because I was like having to work as well, having to like make sure I was producing my work. We were both working Mm. actually. Mm. Were you not producing on the story uh, uh, as it unfolded or were you? Yeah, I was, I was. But like you still have to focus, you know, you can't, you're writing news stories, it's a bit different. And then also having no English people to kind of bounce off and go, guys, can you believe this? Can you believe this? I think there was probably a euphoria around several people, a kind of populist euphoria mean? around the Brexit vote. What, British people who voted yes. for Brexit? Yeah, yeah, for sure. In amongst my community, that would have been statistically accurate. Incredibly, um, even some of my pilot friends and cabin crew friends who live in Europe voted Brexit. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, that, that, is, that is the and, weirdest. And, and some of them would have been dancing on the grave of Europe. <laughs> um, so, Dad, what I want to know, and I, I don't think I've ever asked you this before, have you ever met another left-wing airline pilot? <coughs> or well, pilot? Like, this is going to make me sound as awfully radical to say it. <laughs> um, but in my Virgin Atlantic 
Yeah, Dad works life. with Virgin, by the way. In my, yeah. in my Virgin Atlantic life, probably amongst... No, is the, is the short answer is no. <laughs> uh, and I've the long met answer? many lovely pilots. It's all right, you can, you can be... And occasionally their politics is a mystery to me. So um, you might know some left-wing pilots. They might, they might have credentials never... uh, alongside my own. I have met many lovely liberal-leaning chaps. And indeed, Labour, Labour voting, perhaps. Perhaps. But no, the predominant. You're speculating. I'm speculating. <laughs> um, the predominant, the predominant view, you know, political view of my, of my peers whom I like a lot, is probably middle of the road, conservative, rugby Apolitical, playing. Would we say? Apolitical? Yeah, you know, English. Until Brexit happened, one could. One could sense that there was no instinct to talk about politics. Yeah, so one now of the good everyone, things, that's true. Yeah, now no, one of the good Brexit. things about Brexit yeah. is that we've got, um, we've got a certain... Because we're seeing the racists for who they really are. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, pressing. Yes, indeed. Well, how did you... Why don't you basically tell, tell the listeners a little bit about your background... Um, because it's quite incongruous with being a pilot in many ways. Mm. I had no and right to be a pilot. You really. had a very political, like incredibly political mm. upbringing all around Africa and India, mm. um, which is not what people really expect from a no, Virgin it's a Atlantic surprise. It's airline It's a surprise pilot. when I confess that. So, tell, so tell, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about your upbringing? Yeah, sure. Your and my political heritage yep. comes from my mother and father. Certainly does. So I'm... I'm I'm equally as in awe of my parents as you were, Lucy. And yeah. uh, all three of my children, uh, Lucy, Miles and Alice. Got two and indeed, siblings. And indeed my wife were in awe of my parents, who along with uh, unbelievably uh, humanist, caring people, took a stand in South Africa on the issue of apartheid, one man, one vote. And so they were, so basically... So I was born in South Africa. So Dad was born in South Africa in 1961. Mm-hmm. And um, he's a twin, by the way. Um, you don't want to talk Brexit <laughs> my, um, and Corbyn with my twin. <laughs> it's, that will do that another episode, because that will be funny. But um, And he's got an older brother. Anyway, born in Joburg, in Johannesburg... And Granny and Grandpa were how old when... Well, how old when Phil, who's your older brother, how old were they when Phil was born? 21 or 20? Like they were young parents. Yeah. They were young parents. My father was a journalist, Tony Hall, and my mother was at university. Still at university. They met at university. They met at university in um, Joburg. And my mother's own European heritage is fascinating. She was the, the, had a Jewish father and a, a, a German mother and lived uh-huh. in Paris for the war and lost... Her grandmother in the concentration camps in Treblinka. Yeah. And on the other side, lost some relatives fighting uh, for the Germans on the Russian front. And were made refugees at the end of the war and went to South Africa, which is how they met. And um, their own instincts, political instincts, were probably uh, made out of um, a sense of what had just taken place a generation that had suffered it under uh, in the Second World War with yeah, anti, anti-Semitic stuff. And I hadn't thought of that, actually. And um, 
as, anyway, a, as, a, as, a, as a way of informing yeah. their politics, but that makes a well, lot of sense. Well, perhaps my mother educated my father in that area, but anyway, together, together they, they clocked that South Africa was not a good place and in a healthy way. And with a, a, a like and I this said, was this was in the early sixties. Early sixties. So this was so early. Were, you know, this was like before. Yeah, they were twenty three, twenty four, and Sharpeville happened. So Sharpeville, for our listeners who don't know what Sharpeville is, it was. Correct me if at any stage if I'm wrong, Dad, but it was a peaceful po- protest staged by the by black the, community by the Pan African Congress. Pan African Congress in Johannesburg. It was. Well, wait, so where's Sharpeville? It was in Sharpeville, actually. Where's Sharpeville, though? I think it's outside Johannesburg. Outside Johannesburg. It's near Johannesburg. And how many people? Basically, I think the, 89, police, the police. 89 people were... So South Africa has a great tradition of liberal free press. Yeah. And at least the reporting of what took place. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, very interesting. You couldn't... You know, even yeah. in the troubled days, uh, there was free press. Um, that's really interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that, yeah. actually. And... Um, and at a certain moment, Sharpeville was that moment. My father was a journalist, I think, and my right. mum... So, so Sharpeville was basically... Joined, yeah, the peaceful protest about uh, peaceful caste protest. laws. Yeah, and... And... Um, people were killed, and a lot of them were shot away, in the back. They were. And so it's evidence that they were running away, so there and was my, literally no my conflict. My parents were outraged. It was white Granny and, Grandpa white were outraged. And yeah. And uh, they joined then uh, the, the, the ANC which, believe it or not, was already you know, had to be defined as a sort of uh, black-white organisation. So the ANC... So there was a Congress the, of Democrats. Correct. Was the white, ANC white. and the COD. Yeah. Uh, Congress of Democrats. And they... And the, they sorry, just quickly. The Congress of Democrats was for the white people who wanted to join the ANC because white and black people weren't allowed to be members of the same organisation. I believe that's right. Anyway, and they, they joined a legal protest movement and that legal protest movement eventually, after a number of... Months, years were shut down and made illegal, and my parents didn't go. Oh no, I can't do this anymore. You know, it, um, they went underground with it, and they yeah. were eventually, they were eventually caught. Um, my mother, in particular, was one of the first white women political prisoners, and she served um, got a six-month jail sentence when we were when we were all kids, and she suffered terribly. Really, yeah. Imagine the guilt of being in jail. You were literally like one or two, right? Yeah. So she had these twin sons who were literally two, another son who's four. She's she's a mother, and she has to go and be away and from her young children. She for suffered six in jail, and, and all yeah. her relatives. You know, the the detail of of that moment is not just that they were right and struggling and doing the right thing. It's that the all the family saying, "What are you doing? You should be looking after your." The thing kids. is, the thing I always try and describe when I'm giving like a brief summary of Granny and Grandpa is. That whilst we look back now and we're like, oh my god, the anti-apartheid movement was amazing, Mandela's mm. amazing, and it's celebrated, and da da da. At the time, like all progressive movements, at the time, it was like alienating, isolating. Like yeah. they, their yeah. families disown yeah. them. Don't get me wrong. You know, like it was, it was. It's not an easy decision, and this is what I. Just, it's thrust upon you. It informs my politics now because I try and look out for what those struggles might be now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, what are those things that everyone's deeply like, influential, no, no, no. Deeply influential to be... Which is probably brings us to Brexit a little bit. It's deeply influential <laughs> to be standing for the right thing uh, at all times. And um, uh, at, although we talk briefly now about the suffering uh, that took place, 
uh, once my mother and, uh, and father had been expelled from South Africa, had served their jail time, uh, we led a most fabulously interesting life, uh, standing for the right things, emboldened and strengthened by, uh, by that, yeah. by that very so you know stand you went, for something, you lived, stand you lived for something. In, so basically yeah. you they were we kicked out in. so they were so when dab and andy hi andy were were um and phil and phil yeah. hi phil but i'm uh was were three no when you and andy were three is what i was going to say yeah and we phil were, was I, what five you got kicked out as well grand and grandpa got told they weren't allowed to work in south africa anymore so they had to leave so then you moved to kenya yeah and then so, you moved to Tanzania? Correct. Where my mother was a women's editor of the national paper, The Daily Nation. My father was a news editor, and therein lies plenty of stories. Yeah. The actual detail of how we, how we got English passports, oh, which yeah, was that's such a blessing, was, very, was fascinating. So my father... Which, wait, so just quickly for yeah. our listeners. So you got English passports, which enabled you to move... When you were 16, you moved to England. So we would, could have either had refugee passports, because the South Africans weren't right. prepared to give um, yeah. us uh, passports. So we could have left South Africa under with the refugee status. And, you know, anyone being a refugee trying to think they can pop into yeah. England for a holiday or a visit, or any other country in the world, refugee paperwork is, n- is, is a barrier to entry. It's not... It's not something you can use. And that English, those English passports were incredibly important. They were gold dust, really, because we could travel, we could travel freely as we, as we did. So how come you um, got them? So Grandpa tells a story. Uh, he's, he's covering a court case, and uh, he's a journalist for either the Star or the Daily Mail. He worked for both. And next to him is the British consular, a British consular official. Yeah. Uh, Grandpa and Granny are already named named people yeah. in trouble. Yeah. Uh, and perhaps Granny has already served time in jail. Anyway, the British consular official uh, goes up to Grandpa and says, "Listen, I, Tony, I know you're in trouble. Uh, uh, come and see me. I think we can do something for you on passports." So it was really his goodwill. Unbelievably, yes. Amazing. Um, Tony, Who you know, was, do you know his name? Like, do no, you know I'd love to know. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be nice? Um, the the fact is that Grandpa's grandfather was born in Bristol, which probably, oh, yeah. probably was pivotal, since I'm not sure how much discretion I have. But anyway, that, that moment is a very important moment for all of us. It, it shaped it actually, your lives. It moment. actually gave us some British identity, um, uh, which we carry to this day. Um, we would announce growing up that we were British, we had British passports, but we never lived in Britain. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> were you, like, proud of it? When, was it, was it? Were you, like, saying, at, at schools in Kenya or whatever, were you like, we're British? I, I'm not sure we did it in that way. But, but we, but we, we later on, uh, we could say we were unbroken British passport holders from the time we were three. Um, so, um, you know, and there began a terrifically interesting life. Um, and, you know... From from that, I, from living in Africa, I probably got aviation because we spent a lot of time on aeroplanes going from to different places, uh, very exotic. And my mum and dad said that I was the guy that said, Mum, Dad, can I go to the cockpit? And, oh, um, that's cute. And, you know, that, that's as, it's as whimsical as that. But, Dad, yeah. I'm, before we do our final uh, bit, which is going to be talk, a myth buster about being a pilot, yeah. which I'm sure you'll love, I wanted to ask you something... Actually, which I always kind of wanted to ask you, but maybe haven't explicitly. 
I I am interested in the fact that you're, you know, you're an incredibly worldly political person, and I owe a lot of well, so much of my political education and my moral education, all of it from you and from Granny Grandpa, from that heritage. And I look around and I and I think how. You know, and I, on that basis, surround myself with people mm. that are engaged and yeah. political and, and all of that. It's and hard to separate politics from a person, isn't it? So, so I always kind of want to tap into you about how difficult do you find it? A, being in a profession where people, at best, care a little bit, but, like, at worst, like, don't give a yeah. shit or yeah. are just, like, really right-wing yeah. and racist. And B, living in you know, suburbs of West London, you know, again, you're not... I often feel like you're potentially quite starved of proper intellectual and political debate. And I wonder... How I've survived. If you acknowledge that, first of all, explicitly, and B, how you do cope with it, and C, does it make you sad? Yeah, look, I have a pragmatic approach to it. I mean, as usual, Lucy, you you identify an incredibly interesting line of questioning, which is totally relevant to occasional thoughts and reflections about how your life could have been different. Yeah, Um, I guess that's what... But I think my intrinsic intrinsic feeling uh, is that I'm proud of the way my kids have all had humanitarian... Humanitarian tendencies, liberal tendencies, the liberal tendencies that I'm talking about are I mean, those that left wing tendencies. Yeah, <laughs> not liberal party. I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> so here we're going to go back to a recurring theme around uh, has dad moved to the right or or yeah, we'll talk or about our, that um, properly. You know, and how do I next episode? Um, but the um, the truth is that you take from you take your personality into an environment and you hope you are at least allowed to express yourself a yeah. little bit. Yeah. And you can't have everything. You can't have a job that gives you that. There are some jobs that do that. Uh, you know, um, but look, I was... But Dad, the chief seriously, pilot. what if we'd lived in North London? <laughs> Another recurring theme, <laughs> a sort of hardship theme. We lived in a uh, pseudo... Yeah, we should have been in North London. We should have been in North London, which you... But I'm going to answer your question. And that is that most jobs allow you to express your decency and your integrity. This job, you know, being a pilot for Virgin Atlantic gave me opportunities that I think you recognise as being worldly, allowing me to travel. I was the Virgin Nigeria chief pilot. I could put a stamp of integrity on treating people properly uh, and trying to give Nigerian aviation uh, a safe airline, joining in with my colleagues to do that, of course. Um, the the Virgin side of things has been more charismatic than other airlines in that yeah, they've totally, allowed me like, they've allowed totally, me to yeah. get involved in charity side yeah. in the charity side and to this at this moment I've led many many sixty or more adventures um, into regions uh, uh, that are all about the liberal That's human true, heart. But Dad, can I just India, say something? India, Kenya, yeah. I'm not asking about. Mm. I you I you totally get that you have mm. re- in maintained your political integrity and all yeah. of that. 
what I'm talking about is like human connection and like yeah. the conversations that you're not having yeah. that you could be having. Yeah. Yeah. Like Yes, look, I'm I'm operating nowhere do you feel near sad the, about that. I'm operating nowhere near the level you are. Mm. You are your DNA and your you feel, your connections with your, your friends. But how do you cause I, I can't imagine not being yeah. able to meet yeah. up like yeah. honestly every single one of my friends are connected yeah. job of a hat and like Look, I mean, there's so many compromises you make to make your life work. Um, the, um, the, the, look, I played football, uh, and I love football. How many, how many footballers that I played with express any idea around? It was only 20 years ago that we started to have African footballers and footballers yeah. from. I made connections with working class footballers. Football is in my blood, and I had to make compromises around. Uh, a total lack of interest or willingness to go beyond uh, football as an education. Um, so in does, life, in life, does it make you sad that you don't have more enriching conversations in your life? No, I, I'm an it impossible optimist, and I've got you and 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 Andy and, and, Andy and Miles and, and, Alice. and Alice and my other half Anne. Basically, and, uh, other I think people that I can connect with uh, in different ways, and there's a there's a wider circle. Um, so friends are good for certain things, you know. Yeah, and yeah. No one has it all. Yeah. But you, okay. You know, so I'm not all right. sad. All right. I'm well, that's sad, good. But I do reflect on that, and I would love no, to yeah, have yeah. been been. Uh, you know, I'm proud of you guys and your engagement. Okay. Um. So, Dad, for the final. Mythbusting. Am I supposed to give away? Am I supposed to give away the secrets of the cockpit? You're going to give away the secrets of the cockpit. You're going oh. to give away one secret at the end of each episode. Right. So, <coughs> hmm. I'm trying to think because so many of my friends ask me the whole time, like questions about being a pilot that they expect me to know the answers of, and actually I'm quite a terrible daughter in many ways and don't often know the answers you are so <laughs> ignorant of the flying side i'm of quite you. uninterested having, in but flying that, you enjoyed your taitaku in the simulator oh my you, god yeah did you yeah. land the airplane successfully no lucy? no no it's terrible <laughs> it's reassuring to know that uh, there's a skill and lucy can't land an airplane. <laughs> um but so okay i'm trying to think so oh yeah one of the things and actually, I realise I don't actually know the answer to this either. Weirdly. Again. Yeah, again. <laughs> is, is it true that, so you say you have two or three pilots, three max, two men in the mm -hmm. flying. Four max, actually. Four max, okay. Is it true that you have to have at least two different meals uh, dispersed in case there's like something, a bug, and you sure. all get food poisoning and suddenly you can't fly the plane? Is Short that answer, true? No. Short answer, no, that's not true. Not what, true but anymore. But why, why not? So go on. Uh, so um, the aviation and the world has moved on and we all saw the airplane movie of 1978, I think, where who ate chicken, who ate fish. Yeah, that was uh, it. What was it called? And, uh, airplane. Airplane, Airplane, yeah, yeah. lovely film. That's funny. And I think, I think myths, myths are, uh, are, and facts originate from certain films. Uh, and it was true. I'm on my last flight. Uh, I was asked by a cabin crew member, "Can you both have the same?" And of course, it's written in our operations manual. The pilots but, but can have the changed? same. What's changed? So what's changed is. And like, how does that work? What if there is food poisoning? Well, so no one's had food poisoning that I know of. 
but, from but airline fine, food. But like theoretically. So, so practically speaking, no one gets food poisoning anymore from airplane food uh, at Virgin Atlantic. Uh, there are standards. Right. Uh, so the, there are two routes you can go down. Zero risk. Yeah. The pilots have to have different food. But what if you don't have another choice of, of meal for the other pilot? Oh, God, what if the other pilot creates a fuss? Because they both want chicken. I want chicken and I yeah, want chicken. Yeah. And how do you resolve that? So the, well, um, you resolve it by just... I mean, it's more important, them grow that, up. It's more important <laughs> that the pilots are... But are I return back to healthy. the original point that um, uh, there's... So if we were delayed for five hours on the ground... Uh, you know, because of a technical issue. Yeah. And we got airborne, and then both of you were offered the lobster from the upper-class, first-class yeah. menu. Then I think, you know, being a 32-year-old, 32 years I- into being a pilot... <laughs> Certainly um, not 32, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then I think I would be a... Uh, you know, I would have a, a little discussion with myself. But routinely, I don't view both of us having... The polenta vegetarian option, because of course we're a liberal trendy area, <laughs> um, uh, as a risky thing. But um, why not? Just quickly, I, I yeah. don't think you've cleared up at all. Sorry, I, do, I just don't, yeah. I don't. I still don't understand what's. Why not? Why we would? Because the food. So you're saying the food standards have got better, so food poisoning. Food is less poisoning risk. is not a reality anymore. It's a far. It's a, okay. It's so a, that's basically what's changed. It's a risk that's been pushed far out uh, of sight. Um, I don't know how many times you've flown Virgin, Lucy, and whether you've ever had food poisoning. Um, no, oh, come on, that's not... Can I just say that for thirty, <laughs> for 27 years, sorry, I've been flying for Virgin, and I don't have a single food poisoning story uh, from the airplane. Right, um, myth buster. Myth buster. Number one, so pilots can eat, you know, and this is terrifying for some people to hear, <laughs> pilots can eat the same meals in the cockpit. Okay. At Virgin Atlantic. At Virgin Atlantic. So just don't fly Virgin uh, on, Atlantic on a normal again. day. Do you remember? <laughs> remember I. Covered, I remember the five-hour delay story. Yeah, yeah? There's a, he there's covered a that. Little bit of, there's a little bit of. You're more likely to get food poisoning from food you've eaten in the hotel, apparently, than you are from food you've eaten at. The yeah, end. but yeah. down in the hotel, you're not. You're not piloting. Look, we're both having the fish, so get people. over it. Yeah. Arguments about chicken. Okay. Thanks. Right, and then we should just do a minute. Uh, with the background music in again okay. to say goodbye. Okay. Also, that was my favourite bit. Yeah, was it? 